Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Catholic voice in America. Why? Because I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, the things that matter to you, like why the world isn't working right now. Because we all know it's not working. There's too much hatred and divisiveness going on in the world. Plus, I tackle unspeakable topics that you may secretly struggle with but won't admit. Today, we got an awesome, awesome topic for you. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist. And I was almost murdered twice, but God spared me because he had a higher purpose for my life. That's what I'm living now. This show is created for you, the person who wants to be accepted who wants to be loved, and who wants to be reminded that God has a higher purpose for your life. If this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. And if you are one of the thousands of people who listen in over 30 countries to this podcast, the show, every single week, I just want to say I appreciate you for being here every single week. Without you, this show does not happen. Today, our featured guest is Andrew Finnefrock. Andrew uh, manages a really cool company, Modern Immersive. Uh, it's a virtual marketing company for businesses. But we're not here really to talk about business, are we? That's my other sure. show. Okay. We're here to talk about Andrew and what God has done in his life. We're talking about freedom today, really. That's what it is, how God sets us free. And Andrew's got a powerful story. Andrew, go ahead and literally 60 seconds, and then we're going to get into the story, but 60 seconds, fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? I mean, um, you know, you know, I, you know, as far as the company goes, you know, I, you know, I, I started a company called Modern Immersive. Um, it was to actually give businesses the exposure that they, that they, that they don't get. It was to expose the businesses to do things, do things right and take care of their customers and do things morally and ethically. So I started that just to help other businesses get that exposure. Um, as far as cool. me and my story, um, yeah, well, we'll get that. into that. So okay. before we do take a minute, share with us something personal that very few people in your business life know about you. That's pretty hard. I've gotten pretty transparent in business and tied it all together. Uh, when I, when I do business with people, but, um, uh, that's a tough one. I am extremely transparent now. Um, uh, some, some personal odd thing, a character flaw or a character defect. I still struggle with sweets. Okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so cakes and pastries yes. and all that stuff. I, I can stay off the drugs and alcohol, but, um, you know, if I, if I have some sweets, sometimes it cascades into a bad situation. Andrew, you know what that's called? Progress. <laughs> yeah. Well, well done, bro. Well done. All right, cool. So before we get into today's um, topic, and by the way, uh, Broken Catholic Nation, today's topic is mental wealth, right? And uh, Andrew's really going to share his story. And it's a really a powerful story about alcohol and drug addiction, nasty withdrawals and God's healing power, right? That's what we're talking about today. But Andrew, before we get into your story, um, let's step back. I always start with this question. Why do you think the world isn't working right now? I think it's um, I think it's not working because our attention spans are getting smaller. We're getting more instant gratification, and we're kind of gravitating towards the quick fix, the easy fix, and the hard things are what get you the better results. And mm. just that's where it's transitioning to is is we're co-signing a lot of behaviors that that really are pretty damaging just, just to the mindset. And we're reaching out for the, the simple solution and the simple solution gets you the worst results. Mm. So we're looking for that quick, easy fix Yes. It's here and now. And we're not thinking about the long-term consequences of that. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. 
absolutely yeah i mean you know and I can get into that more, but the brain tells us one thing, but the brain can get us into big trouble. Absolutely, it can. So, like, like let's talk about trusting God for a second, right? Because uh, this is a big one for me. It's easy to say that we love God, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm all this, but then it's really difficult for us to trust Him with our future to trust him with our life, to trust him with the long-term plan, right? And because it's so difficult, we go for the short-term fixes, the band-aids, rather than the solutions, the, the joy, the happiness that he wants to give us with our life. Why do you think it's so difficult for us to trust God with our lives? Because I think most people want to be in control. That's the way it was for me. Um, you know, my justification when I wasn't a believer in God was that, um, you know, I don't want anybody else responsible for my life. You know, I want to have full control and, you know, I, if something goes wrong, I don't want to have anybody else to blame but myself. Yeah, I get that. Okay, that's powerful, man. We, we are all a bunch of control freaks. That's what I just heard you say. <laughs> and I, I agree with you. I know I struggle with control all the time. Yeah. When, I'm, when I'm finally not controlling, like, my life and myself, you know what I do? I try to control other people. And like, <laughs> yeah. like what the F, man? I like, know, man. Like, what is up with that? You know, we, we just all, I think we're all um, a bunch of kids with daddy issues, meaning the heavenly father, right? We all have daddy issues and uh, we're a bunch of broken Catholics out there and we're trying to control other people because we don't want to step into the mess that we've made in our own life and, and right. handle it and ask God for help in it. Right? So let's get into this. Andrew, I want you to take us back in time for a second. Okay. Not for a second, for a few minutes, take us back in time and, I want you to um, speak to us about childhood because that's where most of our messes start. Uh, Give us the the highlights, the high points, uh, the important things that stand out in your childhood, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. Give us the mess. I want you to paint us a picture. Tell us that story. Okay. Um, Well, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, my parents split up when I was, I think, six years old. And, um, that's kind of when I started just remembering everything when, you know, when I, I'm really bad at, you know, the chronology of my life and dating things back. But when I, um, when my parents split, that's when, you know, things were good, things were bad, things got ugly. And, um, so my parents split when I was, when I was six years old and, uh, my mom just moved to a, to an apartment pretty close to us. And, um, you know, at the time I, I remember it, I was upset about it. I just didn't really, I didn't really know how to process it. I was six years old. And, um, you know, so, um, at the time we were still, my sister and I were still hoping they would work things out. You know, they would have meetings or they would meet every week. And I remember my sister and I would always say, so, so are you guys going to get back together? You know, and, um, you know, they eventually just decided to permanently divorce. And so my mother, she moved, um, she moved out to a place in called Sepulpa, Oklahoma, which is out in the country on five acres. And uh, I can talk about that for a second. That was a really good part of my life. I mean, I got to grow up on five acres for about, uh, I think it was like six or seven years. And, um, that was beautiful. So my sister and I, we would do a week with mom and then a week with dad and go back and forth. And, um, you know, that's, um, you know, in the times with my dad, we had a lot of good times. He was really good at showing me how to build things, how to do things. And, 
um, you know, we also had a pretty, um, a pretty rough relationship my whole life. Um, he drank my whole life hmm. and, um, you know, I was exposed to a lot of control manipulation and, you know, a lot of verbal abuse, uh, you know, no physical abuse, but, um, was very hard critical of me. And, you know, that has kind of been, um, something that I've just been dealing with my whole life. Hmm. Um, but Andrew, uh, does anything come to mind? What was the, like that one statement he used to use on you that, that one phrase that just stands out in your mind where it was, you know, abusive or, or, um, diminished you as a, as a little boy, what comes to mind? It wasn't necessarily the statement. It was that it was, he would, at certain times of the night, you know, <laughs> you know, when the drinking would continue, you know, it would just be time to battle, mm. you know, and would find something to argue about. And we would, we would argue and, um, God, this isn't something I, I talk about a lot, but, um, so what would happen is, you know, like, I just wanted to not be, you know, at odds with my dad. And so we would argue. I mean, it, it just happened so often. We, we just formed a habit of arguing and arguing and arguing. And I learned to argue and, and play that game. And, you know, when, so what would happen is I would, um, I would, uh, you know, I would just, I would just apologize for things I didn't even really know was going on. Cause I just didn't like that tension of being at odds with someone. And then, mm. you know, it would kind of just, I wouldn't get that, that, that easement, that, that release. And I would just kind of go to bed a little confused. Like, I don't know what I did, but I apologize, but we're still, we're still at odds. And, you know, just dealt with a lot of guilt and shame, you know, um, in that aspect. And, um, you know, uh, so yeah. Yeah, I get that. So guilt and shame, right. And, and you're, you didn't want to be confrontational with dad, right? Like most boys, I'm guessing dad's kind of the superhero, even with his, you know, alcohol going on and stuff like that, boys, right? We look up to our dads and it's like, you didn't want to confront and battle. So you just submit, 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 submit. Sure. And uh, as you said very well, there was no outlet for you as a boy. Um, what did you do with that, that uh, pent up um, friction? You know, I think I've dealt with, for a majority of my life, I've dealt with a lot of that, that anger and, and the resentment. And, you know, for a big majority of my life, I was a fairly defensive person. Mm. And uh, I had struggled in a lot of relationships and business and personal just because of some habits I learned. I mean, something I learned a year and a half, two years ago is that not everybody's going to tell me when they're upset with me. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was just something that may sound simple to most people, but, you know, I found myself in real estate, there were some people um, that I was doing business with, and I had found out I had, you know, handled myself incorrectly. And then I kind of realized that, you know, when I was younger, you know, if I wasn't being yelled at, or, or, you know, if there was something going on, or I need to do something different, I heard about it. Mm. You know, so I had just assumed if I didn't hear anything, everything was good. Mm. So I mean, that was something I learned from it. And um, so yeah. So when did the uh, drinking, the alcohol um, start happening? For me? Yeah. You know, what's funny is uh, I was sharing this last night at a treatment facility. I remember when I took my first drink and I, th I think I was 13 or 14 and it was scotch. Mm. And I remember I liked it. And I remember thinking, you know, just anticipating how it was going to feel. And so that's when I, you know, that's why I really support the, the, the disease of alcoholism and, you know, understanding it. But looking back, I mean, my first drink was at, I think, 13 or 14. 
And, um, you know, I, I, it, my drinking really, my drinking and drugs really progressed at around t- from 2011 to 2013. How old it really like? took shape. Uh, I think I'd be 30 and 31. Got it. In those years. Yeah. So from age 13 to age 31, this has just slowly progressed or progressed at a super fast rate as far as the alcohol and as far as the drugs. I, I'd say slowly progressed. I, I drank here and there, um, you know, because of what I was exposed to, I, I formed some temporary mechanisms. Like I wouldn't um, like in college or not in college um, in high school. Like if I was upset or, you know, I wouldn't drink. You know, I tried to form these little, little things that would protect me from turning into, you know, what I had been exposed to. And so I played professional music for about three years and, you know, I was partying, drinking, but I didn't have to drink every day. But when I would go drink and party, I mean, we went at it. Like I drank and, you know, I would, you know, someone had drugs, I'd do drugs. And, you know, so, you know, when I say it didn't ever get bad, I don't know if that's just from my mindset. It was probably always pretty bad. I so just, do you think- um, you just think you were a binge drinker, binge uh, drug addict? A lot of it was, I mean, I had a lot of social anxiety. I, I, yeah. you know, I wasn't comfortable in my skin mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, the majority of my life. And so, I mean, I remember the first time I took uh, a Valium. It was at a college party and I loved it. And I was like, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I can, I can talk to women. This is mm-hmm. great. You know, I, now, this is what it feels like to not be anxious all the time. You know, I love this stuff. So the reason I drank is, I mean, it was like to just socially lubricate and be comfortable. Mm. What didn't you like about it? That's a, I mean, I mean the hangovers, you know, I, I didn't like making a fool of myself. I didn't like, you know, I would, sometimes I would get at my, you know, early ages, you know, the anger would come out, you know, and I would get frustrated and, and handle situations incorrectly. You know, I mean, looking back, I just didn't like that. I was not myself. I would lose myself every time. You know, it's interesting, right? Because it's such a lie, right? It's like it, for for that moment when you take that Valium or you take whatever the drug or the alcohol, it it tricks your brain and says, wow, I'm finally free, right? I'm, right. I'm socially capable, right? I'm talking with girls. I'm confident. Like I'm finally like out of the cage. And then it lasts for a very short amount of time. Right. Then the crash, right? And then you're acting out. Or, you know, having episodes and all this stuff, right? And then you're acting the exact opposite of the freedom that it promised. You're now, you know, enslaved, but deeper. Yeah, it creates that contrast. You know, then you got to go back. Then then you go back and, you know, you want to do twice as much the next time because you're chasing it. Wow. What shows up in your own life with that? Um, How do you mean? Like what's showing up for you right now? Like looking back over your whole life and, and that, you know, you, you took it um, to, to fill something, right? To fill a void, right? At every, every time you, you consumed, whether it was drugs or alcohol, it was to fill some kind of void. What was the fo- void you were trying to fill? And then what shows up for you in, was it filled? Did you ever fill it? That's a great, okay, here we go. So whenever... I would, um, reflecting back when I speak at the uh, treatment facilities is I don't think I ever was higher drunk enough. I mean, what I talk about is, you know, my favorite, you know, when I say, hey, I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic, um, you know, I would drink a couple beers. I would, you know, take a couple pain pills, you know, then do some cocaine. And then after that, it would be 
you know, some Xanax to, to help the come down of the cocaine. I mean, so when I, when I look back, it was just, I was never content. I was trying to find contentness and I just never found it. It was just not being comfortable in my own skin and just searching for that different feeling. You know, like you had said something about control. We just want to control how we feel. Mm. And so I would be on a certain substance or drink and I just wanted something different, you know, just never being satisfied. And that all, in my opinion, just goes from, you know, that's just a symptom of, of me not being centered with myself. Mm. You know, it all starts with, with, with me and drugs and alcohol are a big symptom of just me not being centered, not working on myself, not having any mental wealth, you know, not, not even knowing where to find it. So, um, there was times doing drugs. I mean, I, I enjoyed the feeling of it. You know, there's still times I'd love to go have a beer, um, or, or a drink and just, you know, cut the edge off, but that's just not in the cards for me, you know, because in reality, having one isn't, you know, happy hour was never an hour for me. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it is for many people, but you know, so you know, then that's, that's, we can get into that. You know, when your brain lies to you, your brain says, Hey, just go have one. But what, what really happens is, is you go and you have one and another, then, then maybe some drugs, then it just cascades into just a really bad situation. I guess. So it's never really going and having one. It's always going and having one more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not, it's not the, uh, it's not the caboose that kills you. It's the, the first train car. Now, Talk to us about that, right? Because I think you're really, you're, you're tapping on the door of something so important that's in all of us, right? In a humanity. And that is know thyself. Yes. Um, right. Know thyself. And I think, Andrew, we make the mistake of trying to find our identity by asking ourselves instead of going and asking the one who created us. Yes. Speak to us about that. So that's actually a speech I give as well. And I call it trying to solve the problem with the problem. And so for me, um, I talk a lot about knowing the difference between being honest with yourself and telling the truth. Mm. So my big example is, you know, I give two examples, but if you would have given me a lie detector on my way to treatment, you know, when I had just drank a, a, you know, a bunch of vodka, taking some pain pills, you know, on my way to treatment, you know, that's when I was, you know, I was considering the fact I had a problem, but if you would give me a lie detector and said, are you a drug addict and alcoholic? I would have said no. And that lie detector would have said that I passed, but the truth of the matter is I am, and I was, and I needed help. And so here's, in my opinion, to kind of break down what you were saying, the problem is our thinking. The problem is our brain. The problem is, is what we tell ourselves, right? So if we're in a bad place, we're angry, we're upset, or, you know, we're drinking, doing drugs, no matter what it is, whatever our, our struggle is, we're trying to solve that problem with that brain that's out of place, mm. you know? And so it's like going, trying to calm yourself when you're livid. You know, we never really know where we're at when we're actually there. And so that's why you have to let something else do your thinking for you. You have to let go of control. Let something else be outside of you that can really get you to that place to give you some perspective. Mm. So what I'm hearing you say is we lose our own objectivity, right? We no longer see what's real. 
We just see what's real to us. Exactly. Right. And, and that paints a, a very um, distorted picture. Yeah. Right. Because what you're saying and BC nation, listen to what, you know, Andrew's dropping here, right? This is, this is valuable insight. We never see ourselves the way the world sees us. Yes. Right. We never actually see ourselves in the mirror. Like when we look in the mirror, we see a distorted image, right? And it's whatever image we grew up with, our limiting belief systems, whatever um, brush we use, you know, to kind of like paint that picture, but it doesn't match reality. Right. And Andrew's pointing to something really powerful here. Sometimes often you have to get outside of yourself and ask others, how do you see me? How do I show up in the world? Like, what am I missing? What are my blind spots? (laughs) We all have blind spots. What shows up for you in that, Andrew? I mean, for me, I have to do that on a daily basis. Really? I mean, I think everybody should. Even still? I mean, of course. I mean, you know, I, I always, I give this example and it's not to sound minimizing, but at one point in time, we all believed in Santa Claus. Hmm. And that was a reality. We really believed it. We believed there was a man that went to all these chimneys, did all these things. And, you know, I believed it. And if someone would have given me a lie detector and said, is Santa Claus real? I would have passed. But Santa Claus is not real. Sorry if there's any children listening that still believe in Santa Claus. But For all you little um, children out there, St. Nicholas was real and it's on a true story. <laughs> okay. So, um, it's been embellished. <laughs> um, but, you know, we all do these with, with good and genuine intentions. You know, we want to listen to ourselves. We want to trust ourselves. It's a defense mechanism to mm. trust ourselves, mm. you know, but, but the world's changing and, and, and things evolve. And, and, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, you know, my thinking can get me into trouble. That's why I have to let, you know, my mentors give me feedback mm. and, 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 and other things interpret a situation and give me that outside perspective that are in a calm mindset or in a different mindset that can look at me and say, this is what's going on. You know, it's interesting. Uh, what's showing up for me right here, right now is uh, in what you're sharing, Andrew, is that um, speaking of blind spots, right. And, and we can't see ourselves the way everyone else sees us. We can't actually see what's real, right. Because our worldview um, is a certain lens, right. We put on these, these glasses based on our childhood, Right. And what what was the environment we grew up in? Well, those are the glasses that we go through life with. Right. And what we use to uh, protect ourselves as children, we carry into our adult life and it's no longer working. And I think the struggle is we don't want to be wrong. Nobody wants to be told that they're wrong. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Yeah. So we don't want to be told that we're wrong. So we're constantly justifying our life, even the areas that don't work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I learned something very powerful that was a game changer for me. Stop making everything in my life wrong or right, black and white, right? And mm-hmm. instead, just ask a simple question. Is it working or is it not working? Yes. Right? The relationship, right, with my, with my immediate other. Is it working? Is it not working? My business. Is it working? Is it not working? Uh, my business partner. Is, is that working? Is it not working? My health. Is it working? Is it not working? And that was, gave me freedom, Andrew, to just w- remove all the judgment, all the shame, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, and all the wrong making of myself and others, and just look objectively 
and, and say, no, actually it's not working. Yeah. I mean, so my moment like that was when I got to, when I got to treatment mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I've never been arrested. I don't have any legal problems. You know, um, you know, I had no, I mean, never been arrested, no legal trouble. Got it. You know, I always make the joke, you know, um, I've got about 500 DUIs. I've just never been caught, you know, um, <laughs> I get, you that. know, and so I'm in a treatment facility. It's like my first day, you know, my withdrawals hadn't, hadn't hit yet. And some guy up there and I was lucky he was up there was very direct, you know, using cuss words. So he got my attention because when I first got to treatment, I was just kind of had, I had an entitled attitude. Like, yeah, I'm just kind of here, you know, 30 day vacation, just take a break from everything. And some guy gets up there and he says, this is going to get you to jails, institutions, or death. And my brain, my co-signing, my own BS brain said, well, that hadn't happened to you yet. And I'm thinking, oh, that, that, you know, that hadn't happened to me. He's talking to everybody else. And he goes, and for you, and he just said some cuss words. He said, for you guys that don't think that's happened yet, you are in an institution right now. What showed off for you there? My brain clicked. That was my aha moment. That was when I said, oh my, I can't believe. And it just all hit me. And then I thought, what else have I been lying to myself about? Mm -hmm. So that's what I think is important. Someone has to have that moment where it's just so apparent that they've been lying to themselves. And then they have to make the choice to seek that other information. Because since that time, and then that compounded with my withdrawals hitting the next day, you know, those two things really solidified. I remember when, um, so that happened. And then, so that opened up my doorway to receive information. And one of my favorite quotes I've heard is when, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And that means a lot to me because there's nothing anybody could have ever said to me ever that would have convinced me that I had a problem, mm. you know, and, so I'm in the treatment facility, you know, that guy makes that statement really opens up my mind. And then, then my withdrawals start hitting. And to be honest, if I would have known how bad those withdrawals were going to be, I would have not gone to treatment. I mm -hmm. thought, you know, cause I was the main the things I was withdrawing from were, were Xanax, alcohol, and a lot of that synthetic pot. And I didn't know that those were probably uh, the hardest ones. And, you know, I thought, you know, Oh, you know, heroin's the hardest one to withdraw from. And so I'm in treatment and my withdrawals, I've tried to write about them. I've tried to quantify them and I've tried to talk about it. It's really difficult because, and I can give some details. Um, I was profusely shaking. My, my brain was, was resetting. I mean, I, I wasn't very cognitive. I went temporarily blind because my eyes dilated so much. Uh, I couldn't really articulate thoughts. It felt like I had the flu times a hundred. I mean, that's not even an exaggeration. Um, I didn't realize it was possible for a human being to feel that horrible and not be dead. Mm. And I was in, I remember this moment I was in a bathroom and I was literally counting five seconds at a time to survive because it was so difficult. Mm. And I was just thinking if I can just get through five more seconds of this five more seconds. I mean, that is how hard and how profuse they were. And I remember there was a sign that said, you know, let go and let God. And all of a sudden it hit me. And I said, this is, this is my fault. I took all the drugs. 
I've done all these things, you know, no matter how bad my past was with, you know, with what I grew up with or what I was exposed to, I'm the only one that can get myself out of this. I am responsible for this. And so those withdrawals being so physically apparent, you know, our, our self, you know, our brain that cosigns all of our bullshit couldn't, couldn't deny it. It was undeniable how bad mm. I got. And that was the turning point for me. That's when I said, I'm going to face this head on. This is my fault and I'm going to get through it. And the, and they, that was the beginning of them and they got worse and they got worse and I kept fighting and I kept pushing back. And I remember, you know, and as far as the God thing goes for me, it was a very, very hard thing for me to accept. It was a very intimidating thing. And I remember I was actually just pretending to pray and, uh, when a guy was doing a certain thing in treatment and all of a sudden something happened, I just started doing it. It just happened. And it really kind of took me by surprise. And so that was kind of an aha moment for me. But, you know, even right now, like I don't even try and really define what God is and all of that. I just, I believe in it. I believe in God. And to me, that's what spirituality is to me because I think the more for me, I, I need to know about something, the more I try and control it. So I really just try and, I really just release it and I pray and I, and you know, I put, put things in, in God's hands. And so let me kind of try and wind back to where I was, but I was at that point and I just continued to just say, all right, now I've got to get through this. And I remember how good it felt to just say, this is my responsibility. Mm. And now I get to dig my way out of it. Mm. You know, let me just pause that right there, right? Because that's so powerful, BC Nation. Listen to what Andrew's saying there. It's like the second he looked, he had to hit bottom first. Yeah. You have to hit your bottom. Everyone's bottom is different, I believe, right? Some people have incredible pain tolerance. You're stubborn. You're resisting. Mm -hmm. You just won't bottom out because you keep justifying the parts of your life that aren't working. Your friends have told you it's not working. Your, your family has told you it's not working. Your spouse has told you it's not working. And you still hold on to it's everybody else. Yeah. It's not me. Yeah. Right? And you got to hit the bottom. And, and, and the bottom is as painful as it is. Andrew had to go through those withdrawals. That was his bottom. And it was, it was such a painful bottom that it actually um, shut down his brain from the justification. The brain no longer could deny it. The brain had to shut down its denial because the physiology took over so brutally, brutally, right? And he had to accept and take 100% responsibility for all the messes in his life, regardless of, I get it. You grow up in broken uh, you know, families. We all have broken families, man. We all have skeletons in the closet. We didn't choose our childhood. But you're now an adult listening to this show, Broken Catholic. You're hearing Andrew right now share his story, his defining moment where he hit rock bottom and then he took 100% responsibility for all the mess in his life. That is where the freedom happened. That is where your freedom will happen. So I say this, pray to God that prayer. Lord, I know there's parts of my life that aren't working. I can't see it. 
it's blind. They're blind spots for me. Take me to the bottom. Make me hit bottom. It's going to suck. It's going to be terrible, but bring me there, Lord, because I want to be free. Pray that prayer. And I promise you, God will do that in your life. He will. Go, Andrew. What you yeah, got? Yeah, and so, I mean, I was talking last night, and I, I said, I almost wish that I went through more. I almost wish it was harder. Why do you say that? Because it's rather sadistic. Because if that wouldn't have happened to me, I'd still be living a mediocre life. I'd still be – I wouldn't have been opened up to learning from mistakes and – the big aha moment is, and I, I talk about this a lot, and this is what really breaks it down for me. There's two examples I want to give is, you know, it isn't my fault how I grew up, you know, um, being an addict and alcoholic may not even be my fault, but it is my responsibility. Huge. There's a big difference in, in things being your fault and being your responsibility. Huge distinction, right? And I think um, fault, there's no power there. No taking responsibility, there's power. Now you can choose your life where before you were powerless, right? So wherever you are, BC Nation, in your life right now, take responsibility for all of it. The parts that are working, give credit to God because honestly, you didn't do it. He did, right? And then the parts that aren't working, those are yours. Those yeah. you did. Yes, I mean, responsibility for them and this freedom. Go, Andrew. How big of a gift is that that you actually can? So, and I always talk about this. Like, let's say I would have gone to the treatment facility, and they're like, "Well, you're screwed." You know, they had a solution. There is a solution. You know, and so having to admit that I was an alcoholic, a lot of people think that's admitting it's a problem, but that is when you find your solution, mm. and. Another example that I give, and this is, this is just an illustration and, you know, there's no unsensitivity to, to cancer, but when someone goes to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you have cancer, we never say, I don't think I have cancer. We never say, I'm not going to take the treatment. We never fight it. And so I give this correlation. There is way more symptoms that we have about drug and alcohol addiction. They're just social symptoms. And it's easy to say, Oh, I can just not do that. But when it really comes down to it, I buy, if the doctor were to tell me I have cancer, I biologically don't even know what it looks like. I would just have to take his word for it. And, you know, we fight and deny things about ourselves because it means we have to admit we were doing something wrong. Right. You know, and, and cancer, it's like, Oh, that's not my fault. Yeah. And uh, it's just, to me, it, it just makes more sense to say, all right, I'm going to listen and I've got to do something about it. Powerful stuff. BC Nation, I just challenge you. I'm going to keep challenging you, man, because listen, Andrew and I, we're standing right now for God transforming your life. That's it. Whatever you're going through right now, right? There's an area of your life or multiple areas of your life that aren't working. True or true? Right. Oh yeah. That that's it. You just ask others that who, you know, love and trust you, even though you block their love half the time of your life. <laughs> right. And you don't receive love. Well, I get it. Right. Ask them, what is an area that you see in me? That's not working in my life. Ask him that question. Be brave enough to ask that question. Ask a few people in your life, see what shows up as a pattern. 
You know, yeah. what shows up like from three or four different people that you trust who know, who love you. Right. And even if you can't see it for yourself, trust them enough, just like you got a cancer diagnosis, just like Andrew said, trust them enough to say, what do you think I should do about it? Yeah. And, and listen, act. then act. Yeah. And, right? and listen and do something about it. Love you know, it. You know, the reason my life is different is because I surround myself with direct people. You know, some things are hard to hear. Yeah. But now that I've learned those lessons that when you face the problem head on, when you do the things you don't want to do, that's when the other results happen. Mm. And when you do the things that you continue to do, nothing changes. Mm. Nothing changes at all. Yeah. And I get that. It's hard. You know what's harder? Dying with regret. Oh, yes. Can you I imagine? Can oh. All day long. I can handle being rejected. I can handle being hurt. I can handle failing. But I'll tell you what I'm not going to, I'm not going to handle is what if. Yeah. What if. So get rid of the what if in your life and ask God what's next, right? That's, that's really what it comes down to. Andrew, what's the one thing that you want the world to know about mental wealth? The one thing is we need to understand that we need to find our truth. And we, in my opinion, don't know what our truth is. No matter who you are, what you are, where you're at, there's always something that your brain's telling you that feels honest, but is not the truth. Mm. And in this day and age, we have to be seeking advice from others. Mm. I mean, this is all predicated on the fact that if you want some change, you know, and I will only live a life now of continuous improvement. I will be every day continuing to ask for feedback, you know, finding out things that I need to work on because um, at one point in time in, you know, in my sobriety, I got to a point where I wasn't working on myself, but I was giving a lot of people advice and I was becoming an expert on everything everybody else should do. And you know who was suffering? Me. And so that's another difficult balance. You got to make sure you're always working on yourself. And one of my other favorite quotes is the only way to be selfless is to be selfish. And that means I have to focus on me first and then I can help other people. It's a, it's that whole thing, right? You get on the plane and the, the stewardess says, put on the oxygen mask first, right? <laughs> yeah. And then put it on your kid second, you know, yeah. you got to make sure you have oxygen coming in. Oxygen comes from God speaking to your heart through others right? That's where the oxygen comes from. Turn to God, BC Nation. He's got the answer, right? He is your father. He gave you life. You know, I, I say it this way. It's like we started the show um, earlier saying, you know, don't trust, like, don't look for your identity by asking yourself, what's my identity, right? Because you can't even trust the way your own brain works. It'd be <laughs> like the smartphone, you know, asking itself, hey, why was I created? You know, <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense, but the smartphone, if it had its own intellect, right, would go to who? Steve Jobs, its designer, and say, why did you create me? What purpose do you have for my life, right? It's the same thing. Go to God the Father. He designed you. There's a purpose on your life. He has a higher calling. He wants to share it with you. First, you got to bottom out because your life's not working. There's parts of your life not working. If you think they are BC Nation, that's fine. You just haven't hit your bottom yet. Continue yeah. to 
go through your life, continue hurting people, continue hurting yourself, like Andrew's saying, and eventually, hopefully, God will knock you upside the head with a two-by-four hard enough <laughs> where you'll bottom out. Yeah, and, and that you know, look forward to because that's where your freedom's going to happen. Andrew, close us out on um, what's one daily habit uh, that you do right now that really keeps your um, keeps yourself mentally healthy, wealthy. I journal every morning and I journal every evening and I talk about my day. And, and what that does is I get outside myself. That mm. has been something that has really changed everything for me. It, it just gets it out of my brain and onto paper. Mm. That would be the one thing I do. Um, if I could say one thing, journaling, that would be a big one. I know that uh, when people are listening may hear that and say, Oh, that's not that big of a deal. And that's exactly what I fought. Mm a mentor for three and a half years on. And in fact, the reason I started journaling was to chronicle all my progress since the, the uh, 10X growth conference. Mm. And then something magical happened. And then I started getting more calm. And I dealt with like right now, the situations I'm dealing with and all the stress I'm dealing with, I write daily affirmations that I tell myself how I want to be that day. Like I'll wake up in a horrible mood and I have all these things that are going on, all this chaos, and I will write something like, today I will solve one problem at a time. And that is not exactly how I feel. But I program myself how I want to feel. And there's something magical about that. I love it. So BC Nation, we are talking with Andrew Finnefrock today. You can find him at the at symbol on Instagram or Facebook, at Andrew Finnefrock. That's Andrew. F-I-N-N-E. F-R-O-C-K, Andrew Finnefrock, right? At symbol, Andrew Finnefrock. Reach out to him, ask him a question. If you're struggling right now with sobriety, if you're struggling with addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or something else, reach out to Andrew, right? This is a guy that's walking it, man. He faced his ugly. He faced his ugly and he took responsibility for all of it. He surrendered his life to God, right? Now, the next step, if I could be so bold, Andrew, is ask God, God, show me who I am to you. And just pray that in part of your journaling every day and watch how God shows up in your life, brother, powerfully. Because I think that's, that's missing right now. That's that, that little next step. Would you be willing to take that on as a challenge? I know I'm being bold and obnoxious. I'll challenge anything because I need to do something that is outside of myself. Cool. So you take that on? Yes, sir. Love it, brother. All right, Andrew, we're about to head into the confession round. This is my favorite part. I'm going to ask you 12 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready, sir? Yes, sir. All right, awesome. Andrew, what's your favorite sound? When my app says your workout is complete. <laughs> I like that. Uh, what's your least favorite sound? Someone slurping coffee. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I've always wanted to help people. And look at this. God is leaning you right into that calling. Andrew, what are you most afraid of? Failing. Got that. Actually, it's not failing. It's not taking risks. I'm, a, I'm not afraid of failing. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of not being able to take the risks or not taking risks. Yeah, I get that. What did you spend way too much time doing during your 20s? Caring about what other people thought. Mm. What secret fear do you have about God? I'm drawing a blank. 
that goes back to if I, you know, I try not to put too much thought into it. Mm -hmm. I just let it be. Mm -hmm. Is there anything there from your childhood, from religion, from anything that there's some kind of limiting belief about God, about your life? No, I just let go and what happens happens. Got it. What did you wish you had learned sooner about God? That there's no judgment. Amen, brother. The enemy condemns, God convicts, right? He convicts us to lean in. What is a new habit you want to form? Being better organized. Got it. What's a bad habit you want to break? <laughs> um, a bad habit I want to break. There's a lot of them. Not one, one. Not one comes to mind. Give me one, bro. What's that um, one that's been tormenting you? We all got it. If anything, I'd say maybe procrastination. Okay, got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Uh, strong. Mm -hmm. Passionate. Mm. And fortuitous. Got that. And pick three words to describe who you were back then when you were struggling with addiction. You're going to like this. Broken, confused, misled. Yeah, I get that, brother. Welcome to your life. Imagine sometime in the distant future, and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. Andrew dedicated his life to helping others by using the struggles he went through. Love it. And if you could come back to life after you died and tell your family and friends only one piece of advice, what would you say to them, Andrew? Thank you for all the lessons. Mm, I get that. So ladies and gentlemen, BC Nation, we were speaking with Andrew Finnefrock. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook at symbol. Andrew Finnefrock, that's F-I-N-N-E-F-R-O-C-K. Andrew Finnefrock, awesome guest. Thanks for joining us today. And we wish you love, the love, forgiveness, and transformation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Thanks for being on the show, buddy. And Thanks Andrew, for having me. Yeah, you got it. Uh, where can people find out about this new thing, Mental Wealth Initiative, that you're working on? What's the best way for them to get that? I'm building it on Instagram and yep. Facebook. I'll eventually be having a website that'll be um, attached to it, but I'm building the program right now and building content for that right now. But it starts on Instagram and, and Facebook. Got it. So they just find you on your personal pages and then they could connect from there, right? That's correct. Awesome, Andrew. Thanks, brother. BC Nation, we exceeded our six-month goal. We now have listeners in over 34 countries. Like, that's freaking huge. I've only been doing this seven months, people. Seven months, right? That's awesome. It's time to step up our game. That's where you come in. Go to brokencatholic.com and become a patron of the show. Give $1. It's a dollar, $1 a month and become my show partner. And what I'm standing for, I'm standing for God transforming the lives of one of my listeners every single episode, right? And the bigger the reach, the more lives God transforms. Uh, put in $5 a month, get exclusive patron only rewards, such as the video content, this video interview, right? If you want to see Andrew, see his, you know, his uh, physiology, his facial expressions, his authenticity, rather than just hearing his voice, go to patreon.com 
brokencatholic.com. That's brokencatholic.com, and you can connect from there. I am Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I'll see you right back here next week. God bless. Welcome.